This is RWR McDonald, and this is The Right Way Podcast. Yes, thank you so much for that RWR McDonald introduction. Everyone, that is RWR McDonald. That is the guest uh, that is going to be appearing on the program tonight. I am, of course, your host, Samuel James Elliott. Don't know if I've ever told you guys my middle name, but there you go for your next trivia night. Samuel James Elliott, or the host of the Right Way Podcast program. As you heard from the delightful fellow there that's uh, that spoke in the intro there, that's RWR McDonald. And he was talking to me about the second in his uh, series, now second, and now series, uh, Nancy Business. So Nancy Business continues or follows the events, uh, follows shortly thereafter the events or a few months after the events uh, featured in his debut novel, The Nancys. So again, we're reunited with 11, 12-year-old Tippy Chan and her two, uh, her uncle, Uncle Pike, and his uh, partner, Devon, as they go about the next Nancy's case, which... Uh, so as it starts off, a bomb blast erupts or rips through the, the town of Riverstone one night. And that kind of serves as the catalyst or the case basis for the Nancys to investigate. Um, so R.W.I. McDonald, lovely human being, incredible writer, novelist. Uh, I also had the privilege of being in his class along with him. The two teachers were him and Catherine Kovovich, who was also incidentally going to be appearing on the program a little bit later in the coming months regarding her next book, uh, Miss Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries. But uh, yes, I get excited for that one. But in the interim, I want you all to give a big digital round of applause to the lovely R.W.R. McDonald talking to me about his second novel, Nancy Business. Bob McDonald, thank you so much for joining me on the Right Way podcast program, man. How are you going? Yeah, good, Sam. Uh, yeah. It's been interesting having uh, Nancy Business come out uh, this month in Melbourne um, with our uh, lockdown, so just uh, pivoting. And I guess I get that badge now of having a book come out in a pandemic. So, yeah. I've seen you do it. I've seen you fighting the good fight with these photos of you going and doing book signings and masks and stuff yes. like that. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so that's been great. Look, once once lockdown lifted, then being able to get out and about and, and see the booksellers um, has been fantastic. And also see the book in the wild um, on the bookshelves has been excellent. So, yeah, look, it is what it is. I'm, you know, there's uh, a lot of my events and um, like yourself we were we were supposed to be meeting in sydney um so thank you for converting and you know everyone just just converted as much as they could to online which i'm really grateful for everyone's just so used to it now i think it's just no longer a like a thing that people just don't bat an eye you just go okay that's that's fine i just there just has to be because it's just i think it's going to be the way like this for a while absolutely Yeah. yeah look rob normally i ask the first question i ask uh, on the show is where did the idea come from? But we we now know this is the second in the series, yeah, the Nancy, Nancy business. We now know where the idea has come from. My my main interest that I wanted to ask then is did this was this idea already brewing this case that the Nancy take was this already brewing in your noggin when you penned the first one, or was it something that came like an epiphany that came after? How did how did that go about? Yeah, sure. Um, I actually started writing Nancy Business uh, when the Nancy's was on submission, which was a bit of a risk because I had no idea whether we were even going to sell the Nancy's. Um, but it was just that thing of, uh, I guess, you know, you, you're refreshing your email every five minutes. So they say, you know, if you can work on something else so unfortunately what I was working on was a sequel to what was out on submission um and as far as the sort of the story so uh no no spoilers but I mean there's an explosion that goes off so uh, you know that was already in my head that this was what I was interested in I was interested initially in like a um almost like a locked room sort of type mystery. And this is where that sort of idea of, you know, there's security cameras and it's pretty open and shut case. And then sort of uh, playing on with that. And then with the characters, um, our main characters, uh, way back in 2006, when I first came up with the idea of the Nancys, uh, 
I saw that it was going to be a trilogy with this larger story arc. So in terms of their emotional journey, I pretty much knew where I was going with that when I was writing that first draft. Um, and so I was doing a lot of sort of self-taught uh, learning around what does a book two and a trilogy need to, what things does it need to hit? Um, as well as, you know, it's, it's written as a standalone, so uh, people can read it without having to read The Nancys um, or, you know, having to read book three if, if you know, once I get there. Um, so, yeah, so I had sort of those kind of markers, I guess, and then the rest was just uh, that discovery process of writing. You kind of just touched on um, what, I, what I next wanted to follow up with, with which is, what like obviously you're, you've got these all these ideas kind of sequentially going after one after the other but what did you feel that you had to get right with a book two because you mentioned that it was you know potentially like obviously you wanted it to be a standalone so someone can read it if they're only going to read that in the series but what because yeah. obviously and again at the time you wrote it you had no idea that it was going to have this kind of like hugely popular sort of reaction but now that you've got this fan base, and this is kind of what I wanted to know, what then did you feel like uh, it's like delivering a fan service? What what did you have to get right in your mind, Rob, with, with Nancy yeah. Business? So I had to, so I had like a, a, a rough first draft done um, by the time the Nazis came out mm. and then, you know, started to get reader responses. And so in a way I was lucky that I had already had that. So for me, it was um, uh, trusting in the story and it was uh, the belief and, you know, you hear it out there about giving the readers what they didn't know they wanted. And so that kind of was my mantra because it, it would have been, I think it just would have, um, messed with my head too much if I started to think, oh, do I need to recreate what I just did with the Nancys? I, mean, mm. I, just don't, I don't think I could have, and it wouldn't have been authentic to the story I was trying to tell, and, you know, readers would see that spot in authenticity a mile away. So, so I just had to kind of stick to my guns and just go, okay, this is Tippy's story. I just need to focus on that and hope hope that uh, the readers would respond well to it. Um, and certainly, you know, just before it came out, I was feeling pretty uh, nauseous because, because I didn't want to let down those readers that really loved the first book. I wanted mm. them, but I was really curious how, how they would find this and whether they'd be happy with it or okay with it or, you know, just go, you know, throw the book across the room I don't know um so yeah gratefully so far it's been it's been a positive response which is which is excellent because now I have to go uh into book three so but also during writing book two uh I kept exploring whether this sort of overarching arc that that I have for Tippy's story whether that could be put in into a second book like a duology so I had to keep testing that I mean I didn't want to you know be padding something out if it didn't need to be padded out so kind of had all those thoughts going through but I'm you know I, I came to realize no for what needs to happen and you know a lot happens in a book too anyway you know that's you know that's going to set set her and the Nancys up to where I need them to be Man, there's some intense, intense thoughts that are that were going on brewing in the old noggin there. Very natural thoughts, but um, I kind of want to delve into them a little bit later mm. because I think that will segue nicely into the the challenges. But with the writing, Rob, because you've obviously you've had the idea, you've you've gone the um, the Nancy's submission, Nancy business was being written at the time. Has it has has it been easy? Have you felt it's easier or has it remained the same to write these sort of characters that you obviously love? Um, have they themselves, because obviously they've been talking to you. I remember probably in the first interview we had, you mentioned that the voices were talking to you. 
from 2006. Yeah. So obviously you're well acquainted now. You're well versed. Has it gotten? Are you? Are you? Have you? Has the communication, as it were, between the voices and what's on the paper gotten easier, or has it kind of like not been all compared to the other stuff brewing in your noggin about the challenges? Has it been as difficult for that, or is that kind of the voice themselves are easy now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a really, um, it's a really interesting question. I think, uh, you know, I know when I'm putting them on the page, you know how they're going to act, what they're going to say. So I guess part of my challenge and, you know, with, with Nancy business as well is putting them in situations we haven't seen them in, that they haven't necessarily been in and seeing how they react to that. And I know I'm talking about them, you know, as a separate entity, but that's the only way I can sort of talk about them because it's not, I think if I went in with, I always had sort of, you know, a guiding okay, the scene is going to be about this. But within that scene, I just let whatever happened happen and then kind of follow. Um, so in terms of the characters and, yeah, knowing how they'll react or, you know, if you throw someone else in, you know, that group dynamic, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty confident with now. Um, so there's still a lot of... Um, drafting and editing around, I guess, the plot and um, those uh, emotional moments and almost paring down um, uh, a lot of the scenes that they're in. Because when I do the first draft, I just let them go for it. And, you know, it could be two pages of them just talking nonsense and you just <laughs> at some stage you've got to go, well, we've got a case to solve. Um, so, yeah. So I think second time around, that was, I was fairly confident with, with them. Um, I'm writing a first draft of a complete standalone. And it's, it's interesting because you're, you're right back at that discovery phase, which I guess with the Nancy's, the discovery phase is more around uh, the day-to-day -day stuff or the, the plot rather than the actual characters themselves. Let's talk a little bit about the characters because, or in particular, Tippy, because I feel that in this, in this one, she's getting older. I feel that there's, there's, you know, to quote the immortal Brittany, she's not a girl, not yet a woman in many respects, um, yeah. including the, you know, the rebellious, getting up to the rebellious sort of stuff. Um, no spoilers, but Siggy's kind of allusion to that. Um, and I wanted to, because again, Robin, I think one of the things that you constantly get praised for, rightfully so, is the authenticity of voice and characters. Um, this this ageing of Tippy, and I'm assuming that Nancy Drew doesn't age, I, I, I suspect, and the yeah. many... Or she does? She does age. No, 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 you're right. Oh, oh, oh sorry, sorry. Well, the only time the she, yeah, the only time she aged was... In the in the original series run, mm. um, I think she was sixteen, and then mm. when they revised it, sort of you know, um, hitting more conservative, um, then I believe they raised her age to eighteen, just okay. so it wasn't so wild and fearless. Um, yes, but but yes, you're right. She's like a, a James Bond character where mm. they just stay the same age. Mm. But yeah, so 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 Tippy does age. She is starting to 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 no longer be um, as young and as such, um, you know, mm. questioning her mother a lot more. Tell me about this, Rob. Tell me how how you came about this and the sort of authenticity of a, of a character getting older, particularly of Tippy. Yeah, so I wanted it to to happen in in their world in real time. So uh, and they're also part of part of this is about Tippy. Um, getting to the truth and and processing what's happened with the loss of her father. Mm. So I need time to pass for that to be able to happen as well uh, in between books. Um, so I, and I just didn't want to have a series where, you know, book two and everyone's exactly the same like you know you're pressing reset each time mm -hmm. and I was just like, I'm, you know I that's I'm not interested in writing that and that's not the story here and um and it's also about Tippy growing in confidence and and who she is now 
Um, Tippi's father is, uh, he was an international student. He came from mainland China. I am a white man, so I've had to check in a lot um, with um, women in my life who are of that lived experience to make sure that I'm getting that mixed race uh, experience correct. Um, and particularly in book three, and it's slowly starting to happen in book one and two, but by book three, this will be something that Tippi will be really exploring is this side of her identity. Her mum's Pākehā and her uncle Pike and, and her father when he was there um, living in New Zealand was you know, very much trying to assimilate. And so Tippi's grandma, who's Nai Nai in Shanghai, is sort of her cultural link and that's going to become stronger. Now, with that, I'm very conscious aware and I'll be working with a writer of that lived experience and obviously you know they'll be compensated because I need that to be authentic and it's not something I, I feel like I need to um, collaborate with someone because this is where it needs to go and I need that to be reflected as accurately as possible so um, yeah and I think with Tippy. Yeah, I like this idea of starting, you know, a character that's young and then we can actually see them grow. Uh, mm. There's something kind of nice about that. Tippy was around uh, my daughter's age when I was writing it. Now they're 13 and 14. So, you know, not, <laughs> not that I'm, um, you know, stealing from my daughters, but it is nice to be able to write uh, a character that is around their age, because obviously I'm seeing that experience in front of me as a parent. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, there's definitely. I think you mentioned mentioned that as well uh, when we were talking last time. Uh, Read the Nancy's about um, having your daughters as a potential sounding board for something. It's not not stealing, plagiarizing from them, but having them as yeah. a soundboard. Um, yeah. I wanted to also talk a little bit about, because again, authenticity runs throughout different qualities of the book. Another one I really liked is that the, the grief is something that is felt and it's pervasive throughout, but it's kind of like it's natural in that grief is something that's always changing. So it's, it's not something that just goes away. It doesn't, it doesn't exactly subside, but it transforms as time goes on. And I exactly. felt that this was different the grief that to be is experiencing within the Nancy's is different to what is shown throughout Nancy business. And that's another thing that I was just wondering, Rob, if that's something that you've like, how did you capture that? How did you go about doing that? Yeah. So it was important for me um, by the end of the Nancy's that, you know, cause Pike and Devon were going to head back off to Sydney and um, it was important that to be, um, got counselling, right? And, yeah. you know, Helen as well. I'm not sure if Helen, um, I mean, she's a health professional, so I would hope so. But anyway, it's that really waspy kind of, you know, uh, that's the, the, the family that Helen and Pike come from, which is that, you know, you don't talk about emotions and, you know, stiff up a lip, all that kind of stuff. Um, so by the time we see Tippi, it's four months later, but she's been to counselling. So she is starting to kind of process. Um, for myself, I, my mum passed away when I was 15. And so I wasn't as young as Tippi, but obviously it's something that completely changes your world. Mm -hmm. And it is that, that thing that never leaves. But yeah, like you say, you, you, you kind of, grow around it or you learn to um to live with it or the pain dulls or you build a tolerance whatever it is um so i wanted to show that one year on that it is still there and there are those moments which you still you know um uh brace yourself or you see you know you see the parent down the street or you know there's all of that stuff with grief so um yeah, so it was important. And also because we we don't have a resolution yet mm. with with Tippy's dad. So yeah, it's important that 
he is, uh, and I think we'll get to we'll get to know more about Tippy's dad in the third book um, because he's sort of this uh, uh, absent character that's there but not there, and I think you know we'll we'll get to see a bit more of that uh, in book three. It's so true. Um, I love that. I love that sort of description as well, like an absent character who's there but not there, and he he definitely is. But um, yeah, no, you've done the you've absolutely done the brief. Well, there, Robin. I just my own selfish request now is like just deliver a book free to me, just on the on the on the, on the hush, just on the hush. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll keep it between ourselves. But look, another thing that I noticed right away when I started reading, obviously, is the crime itself that uh, that kind of uh, acts as the the catalyst for, albeit for the you know the next Nancy business or the next Nancy case. Nancy's case is is uh, we've gone from, and these are all terms that I was very fortunate enough to learn in your class with, with oh, Catherine, with yeah. Faber. I did not know about these terms until, until you edified me. So <laughs> we've gone, here we go, dropping knowledge, I'm passing the test. So we've gone from a whodunit to a why done it. Is that, yeah. is that correct? Am I using the right lingo? Okay. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Now, First and foremost, you already, I think you've alluded to that you did already have this idea right from the get-go that uh, that you were going to do this particular case, yeah? So so is that, is that true, Rob? Is that, is that what it was always going to be? Uh, yes, yeah. Yep. So, um, I mean, in the Nancys, we have fairly violent murder um, and here we have an explosion. Um, what part of this... Um, is around reflective of the the kind of global uh, environment that my kids have grown up in. So I know with with Vancey's and you know when I was sort of exploring that idea, that's when we had the ISIS beheadings on video, and then you know for the uh, Western countries, particularly like Paris or um, the UK, uh, you know there was these bombings and threat of terrorism um and now obviously we've got domestic you know the domestic terrorism um the far right so it's just that they've grown up and this has kind of been the news cycle and so it was sort of reflecting that you know that even if it is this you know small town in the middle of nowhere that there's still that reach and um so that's why, I mean, because it is a cosy, you know, it sort of has those cosy rules, but it subverts them in that way because it was also right when I was writing the Nancys, it was like, it's still murder. So mm. whether we're poisoning an old lady in her bed, like in some cosies, and somehow that's okay because she's old or she was mean or whatever, and it was kind of like to the reader, no, you, you're following a kid investigating a murder so we're not going to shy away from that. That's what it's going to be. So, yeah, <laughs> that's sort of how the Nancys have, um, I guess, how they've operated. Because it's like, I don't, I don't necessarily agree that it's a good thing to. Well, I don't agree that it's a good thing to take a kid to try and solve, you know, any kind of um, horrific crime. But uh, I know that you know they're to these babysitters, their hearts in the right place. And, and that was important, that the intent was there, that their intent was good. And also um, that when we, when, when I'm writing about uh, death or, or murder or any kind of horrific crime, that, that that is treated seriously and the characters are respectful around that. Because I didn't want it to be a farce or you know, some kind of black comedy making fun of people dying. That was mm. never the intent. And, it, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't been a, and it, it wouldn't be. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's, you're sort of juggling all of that and still having comedic elements in it. Mm. Yeah, you got yeah. This this you just open up can of worms of couple couple of different things I wanted to talk about. But yeah, the bombing itself, I mean, was kind of like it was definitely depicted. As horrific as it would it was it would suggest. I mean, it was a really, really, really intense scene. Um, actually, really intense. And I thought that you did that. Um, you did it well because there's something. I think it's one that kind of that and like depicting of forest fires and stuff like that. These things that are sort of innately chaotic is is incredibly hard 
to to depict like that. Um, but you, you did mention another couple of things, but first and foremost, so the thing that I liked about this, and this is, you know, again, I'm not going to mention who the person is, but it emerges that the, 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 the bomber is a member of the community. And you've mentioned that, you know, you, you, you've been influenced by real life events and or, or sorry, real world events. Mm. And I was wondering, Bob, if there was another thing that kind of really drew you to, to wanting to explore this was how it divides a community when it's a member or one of their own kind of thing. So it's like this, this feeling of well, they would never do that. They were framed or I always had this, this feeling about them. Tell me a little bit about how this is like maybe potentially a thing that you wanted to explore, how once these sort of tragedies happen, a community comes out and says these different just divisive things about this person. Yeah, well, I think it's that thing of, um, you know, even with serial killers and the people who live next door and, oh, he was he was lovely, he was really nice, he was really quiet, you know. These, these sort of bizarre descriptions which um, it's almost... And I think we've seen it here in, in Australia, particularly, you know, the last couple of years or probably longer where, it, you know, he was a really nice guy. He just snapped and, mm. and you know, his whole family is now dead because of him. Um, so I was kind of, it was sort of exploring that also within a small town and a small community where everyone knows each other. So there is, so when something like that happens, there is that sudden, um, breach of trust because there's that unwritten trust that if you know someone then nothing bad uh is going to happen or they're going to do anything bad so when when that belief is challenged um it was sort of exploring how how people react you know you have those people go i always knew or they're always strange or um but you know the day before they would have been saying what a wonderful person they are um and then you have the people who just refuse to believe it because they've never experienced anything like that with this person, which is kind of where the Nazis are finding this, uh, I guess, grey zone with the perpetrator. And I'm thinking, well, maybe it does take, it does need a second look because it's just not adding up. There's mm. no there's no history you know there's no history of anything that would lead to this um so yeah i think it's really interesting it's like how well do we know do we know our friends and neighbors really mm. i mean it's just such a it's 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 like perennial because it's something that yeah it's at the core of the core of so many crime novels is uh it's got to be one of us but you know it can't be any of yeah. us because we're all good people but you've kind of contemporized it in this this way of a community sort of reeling and reacting to this this sort of um, still very very cutting edge sort of contemporary problem of like a of a, a you know um, a bombing. So I, I just found that interesting. Following on from that as well, Rob, I liked the the uh, inept and sort of wrong way that the media, not just Hornblow but in in general, <laughs> depicts uh, or chooses how they cover the 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 coverage of of the bombing and the aftermath of it. One part I really liked as well, and I wanted to talk to you about it because I think that, again, it's a contemporary issue that you've kind of woven in there, is um, referring to someone as the counsellor's wife. So instead of using their name, they're only ever referred to an association of some public figure or some, you know, it, it, happens, with, it happens with celebrities and stuff like that. And I wondered if that was another springboard for you that was interested and you wanted to sort of depict like that because it was something that sort of intrigued you. Is that true? Yeah, or? I think it's, no, because I think it goes hand in hand and it's sort mm. of, it's, um, well, I mean, it's misogyny, isn't it, really? Mm. When we, we, you know, I don't know that if it was a female counsellor, I'm pretty sure that her husband would be given her the full name um mm. so yeah it was kind of exploring that misogyny in the media and which ties into that oh but he's a nice guy he just did this where um so yeah i wanted to play with that it also um has uh so there was that and it also has other um 
Uh, <laughs> you tried footing um, around. You're trying to like not. I, I, I'm trying to avoid spoilers. I can see you working uh, on eggshells. The, the yes, yeah. So I wanted, yeah. So it, it, it had a few. You know, it did some heavy lifting. That, mm. Let's just put it that way. Um, but I, yeah, I did want to have that in the media where, yeah, you've got someone who's basically de-identified, or their only mm. identity, their only value seems to be their husband's occupation or public office. Um, and this is a whole person who had a life who, you know, and as the Nancys are investigating, then you know they discover, oh, you know. Mm. Um, Raywin worked here and you know she seemed like she was a really nice person and you know yeah it's yeah you're right it is it is misogyny and it is it is wild that it's still kind of rife or sort of pervasive within within contemporary media that it's mm. it's, it's still this thing that you know if it, if something like that happened tomorrow it would it would happen it would be it would be the way in which it's it's covered and depicted so no I'm glad that you kind of had this sort of, sort of uh, low-key lacerating depiction of it Rob and you're in your work there. I want to talk a little bit briefly because you already touched on it a bit. You mentioned that you, to my surprise, that you paired it back a little bit, which is the balancing of kind of the the, the emotional, the tragedy stuff that in this instance, let's say it's 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 to be still questioning what's going on with her own feelings towards the towards the tragic loss of her father, as well as you know, trying to process that. Uh, and then obviously there's there's the constant, well, we've got a case going on kind of thing. And I wondered how I wanted to talk a little bit about that because there's a good balance there, but it's a, it's naturally a difficult balance. And you said that, that you know there's there's editing going on. So tell me a little bit about that, Rob. How you achieve that sort of uh, the balancing of of the two kind of like main core parts there? Yeah. So it's so the way I sort of come to it is thinking, okay, you're solving a case. But like anything that we do, life happens around that. So that's, that's sort of where I start in my head in terms of weaving the two together. So it's mm. like, okay, you've got this thing happening. And I don't know about you, Sam, but usually if I've got something on, then that's when life decides to, you know, throw me this and this and this Very to deal things. with on top of um, and, you know, with the Nancys, it's like a deadline, right? Um, because, you know, there's a threat that there could be another explosion that's not giving way too much of a spoiler. Um, so, yeah, so that's sort of my starting base. And then what I explored a bit more in Nancy business, which we sort of look, we touch on uh, in the Nancys, but not as um, explicit, is that idea of having something external like an external project, which occupies your mind to so you don't have to think about something that's really painful or that you don't want to. So it's almost a form of denial, active denial, I guess, because you're choosing to do this. So for, for Tippy, she understands that when she's working a case, she's not having to feel or deal with you know, this news she's had about her father or even, uh, and she's also sees it as, you know, potential glue for um, uh, Pike and Devon's, you know, relationship. Um, so using it um, more than just, oh, let's find out why, like actually using uh, the case as a driver to try and sort of for these other things as well. Um, and yeah, so I think, um, yeah, it, it has those sort of different layers to it now, which is good. And, and as, you know, as it develops, we're one of Tippy's subconscious drivers is trying to find the truth. And it's really the answer to why um, around her dad's accident. And, uh, you know, she hasn't quite, like, she knows she's got the why questions, but I don't think at this stage she's really connected the two to, you know, what's really driving her there. Yeah, interesting. And it's, I mean, like, it's interesting that um, you're right. I mean, life does happen when you've got, when you've got your other plans or, you, you know, you've got a goal in mind. And it's, I like that you, you use the term um, to describe uh, the glue as between um, Devin and Uncle Pike's relationship mm -hmm. because, Man, they were they were fractious in this uh, in this um, 
yeah, in this in this in this novel, it was the yeah, um, yeah. no spoilers, no spoilers, but yeah, no, was, no, no spoilers, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I'll just say with with the yeah, so with the shading or with those emotional moments versus the case, uh, yeah, when I'm talking about the pacing, I mean you've got to give the reader enough time to feel that emotion and to go there with mm. with the character and also then just to spend that little bit of you know a few beats or whatever it's going to be for that to actually resonate and yeah you're almost drawing it out as much as you can before you know we're off doing something else or you know the mood's lifted or broken or whatever so it is it's a you know reading it out loud trying to feel the feels yourself is like obviously number one because if you're not feeling it then the reader's not going to be feeling it Mm. um and yeah using the case as a way to either burst in and change the subject or you know cause cause the action to start again um or discover a clue i don't know whatever it is just to try and um then get the pace right because that's the other thing i mean people are wanting to turn the page but when you're doing that emotional stuff you need to kind of almost slow it down Mm, absolutely it is a fine balance it is a fine balance i mean like you're 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 done at it now but it's just to to balance the two because yeah if you have constant bombardment of and i remember you saying this and you and Catherine talking about it in the favorite class that just you can't just inundate people just every page if every page is just unrelenting clue 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 you know <laughs> yeah. then people go oh yeah, fuck i can't even remember like what's being said <laughs> like god this is the tw- yeah. this is the 12th you know twist in the past 12 pages kind of thing you know so no i totally agree with you it's this mm. it's the matching of the you know slowing slowing moments down so that so you know when the pace picks up it's all the more kind of uh at odds or different disparate to to what mm. it was so no you're definitely you, you you're definitely good at doing that deft at doing that tell me well because i mean a murder in itself is complicated enough but a bomb an explosion again i kind of d- mentioned it before about how like sort of you know just by virtue of it being a bomb is just like the definition of chaos how did you go about the kind of organizing something as messy as that into then drip feeding because you know everything then trip feeding those into clues that obviously the, the Nancy's can then follow and devour. Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, researching it was really tricky <laughs> because I didn't want, like, I just couldn't, I, I was too scared to put anything in my um, Your computer. Screen. You didn't want ASIO looking, <laughs> being on a list somewhere. To, no. Yeah. I didn't want the knock on the door. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I spoke to sort of experts, sort of, I spoke to experts and, um, uh, you know, go to the library and try and do it old school. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I was really um, cognizant that I didn't want, you know, any research I did find, I didn't want a recipe in there. Yeah, um, yeah. And so that was deliberate that I can, you know, obviously there's components and things that they're looking for, but, you know, I wasn't about to describe how to do that. Mm. Um, I just didn't want that on my conscience. Um, No, of course. Or out in the public domain. Um, And, yeah, so then it's, it's... So one thing that I do, and I did the same with the Nancys, is as I'm kind of in that draft and once I'm sort of realizing where, you know, what's happening um, and the, all those sort of points, then I write and it's not like I just, you know, handwrite it or, or, you know, type it up, but it's purely what has happened in that period. Um, so say for the Nancy's from the murderer's point of view, what have they done from this? So it's almost like the timeline, right? But from their point of view, what have they done? How have they done it? And, you know, what's the end result? Um, And then that you've got as a blueprint. So then you know all those time stamps, where they were, um, you know, whereabouts on the road they were, all of that kind of stuff. And for me... 
until I know that, I'm not going to be able to write a complete draft because mm. it's going to be games. So that's something, um, yeah, that I highly recommend if you're writing crime that, yeah, you need to know that um, because then it's easy to put the red herrings. You know what you're dealing with then and, um, and when it comes to the clues, whatever the shape the clues take, you know how that all fits in as well or where you can leave that clue or who's heard what or seen what or yeah does that yeah no no because it's just yeah no it answers the question absolutely i'm sorry i was just when you saw me i was, I was, I was writing it down i was writing it down i'm like it's like i'm getting an extra 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 free lesson that wasn't previously in, in what i paid for with favor yeah. so no I'm all, I'm all for it i'm all for it that's actually oh, good 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 just one of those things that you go oh my god like that's just that's brilliant, but like I just didn't think of it because you know, like I'm very much still um, just into foray, foraying into to crime, Rob. So I much yeah, you know, yeah, 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 man. Listen, getting getting all the little pearls yeah. and and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's all it's all gonna it's all gonna go somewhere in the end. I can assure you. But um, <laughs> tell me because we've kind of gotten to the part we've touched on it. Um, you know, some of the the, the challenges you face, particularly with the writing of Nancy business, but. I want to know, and, and this is kind of the crux of what I always want to talk about on the program at some point, mm. is what was the greatest challenge, trial, tribulation that, that, that you faced, that you feel uh, that you've obviously, you've prevailed, you've overcome in order to come and get to this point now where you're, you're talking to me? Because you mentioned a little bit before about some of those, those pretty bad thoughts brewing in the noggin or pretty troubling thoughts, perfectly natural, mm. but... What do you reckon, Rob? Do you have one in particular, or was there a series or a period? Was it is it this? Uh, like, is it what's what's what do you reckon? Yeah, look, I mean, for me, um, so a month after the Nancys came out, my father passed away. Um, oh, so he actually got uh, diagnosed with advanced uh, multiple myeloma uh, in April of 2019. So by July, he passed away. So you know, um, I was over helping care uh, him with my my stepmom and my family. Um, so that, yeah, there wasn't much writing going on there. Mm. Plus, I was in the, um, tri- you know, the uh, like the roller coaster of book promotion as well. Uh, so I think post that, um, yeah, it was quite hard to you know, get back into, into the story. Um, and then you, and then you do, and then it's like an escape and it's almost like uh, catharsis in a way, because you can, you know, try and put some of that emotion into your work and, and, you know, work it through that way. Uh, so that would be obviously, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the biggest thing with, with Nancy business. And then, um, yeah, and then it went on submission during um, early lockdown. And, you know, we had, we had no idea what was going to happen, where people were going to buy books, is, you know, what was going to happen with publishing. Um, so, yeah, but otherwise, uh, like I knew what to expect this time around with the structural edit, which had blindsided me with the Nancys. Uh, that because uh, for whatever reason um, the structural edit with the Nancys just triggered all of those self-worth um, feelings about writing which I sort of had thought that I'd kind of processed but clearly hadn't um, so I knew this time that I, I you know I would feel things and that was fine I rode through that and uh, even, you know, the copy edit and the proof, I knew what to expect. So, yeah, I was very grateful um, around that. Uh, yeah, so I think the in terms of the actual writing, you know, the trickiest was the, the plot, for sure, and then trying to work that out and killing your darlings and doing all of that just to try and simplify what's, a, you know, um, a fairly complex novel although my whole aim with the nancy's and nancy business is for the reader to find it accessible and easy to read that i do all that um paddling underwater for them um 
so yeah it's um yeah i'm just super super grateful that it's out in the world now and um now i've got an orange book as well as a pink book so Alyssa Danalo's just nailed the cover design again. Um, so, yeah, incredibly grateful. Good stuff, Rob. And, like, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that, you know, those those sports that you're getting are no doubt natural, but um, I'm glad you pushed through, mate. And, yeah, this period is is is, is a very rough time to, to have your, your book out there, I would imagine, because you're, you're yearning to go and hang out with people that love your stuff and, want yeah. to talk with you and you know all that sort of stuff and you just the circumstances just aren't yeah it's rough mate it's rough but I'm, I'm yeah i'm glad that you're talking to me anyway and i'm glad that you yeah no thank you for having me and yeah. also yeah i mean last time i had the i had the events and stuff but then i had my father really sick so yeah you know this time i don't have that and i'm locked up but it's yeah it's the way of the world <laughs> next time book three the yeah, world will be book three a is a charm. Place. Harmonious. Yeah, that's it. Harmonious. That's it. that's it. All right, Rob. Look, look, before you go, the last question I really like to ask you, and it's a question I always like to ask because there's no two answers are the same, is what advice would you give to any would be aspiring writers that are listening to this episode? Sure. Look, um, I think the advice I would give is be true to your story. So try not to get bogged down with what's the latest trend. Um, for, for me, when I was writing the Nancys, there were naysayers saying you can't write, you know, you, it's a child, but it's adult fiction. That's not going to sell. Um, I couldn't think of companion books. So don't freak out if you can't think of which books would sit beside you know, uh, your book, I used to make it up and say Jasper Jones and uh, The Thin Man, Dashiell Hammett, because I just had no idea. I only chose Jasper Jones because it had a child protagonist. Um, so, yeah, don't sweat any of that. And the number one is to be authentic to your story. That is the best advice I can give. And my tutors at Faber, um, so I had Patty O'Reilly and Tony Jordan, and their advice was finish it. And don't send it out until you feel it's ready. And I think that's really important. Um, where possible, um, use unpublished manuscript competitions as your first port of call when you are ready to send your work out. Because once you send it to a publisher, that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very, very, very rare that you get a second chance to present the same manuscript to a publisher. So I think that's my sort of little box of advice. Um, and you never know who's going to read your work. I mean, my, you know, my publication happened because um, I submitted it to the Victorian Premier's Unpublished Awards. I got highly commended, so you don't even need to win these things. Mm. And um, Grace Heifetz, my agent, um, saw that and we got in touch and here we are. So, yeah. Oh, right. And don't be, yeah, and don't keep it in the cupboard for 10 years. Don't, you know, you're, you're going to have to let it go sometime. So that's a safe place to try, try it first. Some very good advice there. Very, very good advice, particularly about the don't, um, don't send it out until it's absolutely ready. That's yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very, very good advice. So, look, Rob, as always, you're a delightful human being. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, mate. We will unite uh, in the flesh. It yes. will happen. It will happen. Absolutely. The stars will align. The world will stop being as crazy as it is, at least temporarily, <laughs> a little bit of a respite, either storm type situation. Yeah, and we will unite. But in the interim, man, it's an absolute joy talking to you. I love seeing how well uh, the Nancy series is doing. I love reading them. I'm dying for book three, which is, seems it's probably going to be a little bit of a while away, but um, I'll just abate or just continue to keep reading the other two ultimately until that uh, that beautiful day comes, man. But uh, yeah, thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sam. It's always a pleasure. So everyone, that was the lovely uh, RWR McDonald. 
discussing with me his second book uh, in this Nancy, the now series, the Nancy series, uh, Nancy Business. Huge thanks to RWR McDonald for talking to me. Lovely human being, incredible writer. I can't recommend the Nancy series enough. Go out and get the copies of the book. Uh, for those not in the know, rest assured, in the biography slash description slash whatever you want to call it of this episode, I am going to be putting the links to the good folks at Alan Nunwin, Rob's publisher, so that you can get your hands on a copy of Nancy Business. And if you haven't already, you can get the, the original, the Nancy's, the first in the series as well. And uh, wait expectantly like me for that, uh, that, for the, that beautiful, fateful day when the third uh, in the series comes out. Uh, however far down the line that is, I'm, I know that time. Counting down the days uh, for the day that I'll know the date that it will come out. So that's, uh, that's, how, that's how much I'm hanging out for it. But uh, yeah, again, huge thanks to RWR McDonald talking to me about Nancy Business there. Absolute joy to speak to that joy of a human. Uh, in the interim, also thank you to you, dear listener, for listening to this episode and then some. All the others that are going back there and listening to the uh, the now wealth. I would argue it's a wealth. I'm going to argue it's a wealth. A veritable wealth slash cornucopia, whichever word that you want to describe that's uh, a pipe treasure trove of episodes ever proliferating. Uh, they're the doubloons of those episodes. So thank you so much for listening to them, going back and listening to the others. Can assure you've got a lot more episodes coming up, a lot more guests to talk to. Uh, may my work never be done because there's uh, this is an endless stream of incredibly cool people and creative people out there to talk to. I will check back in, post another video in the coming weeks slash month, um, giving a little bit of an overview of the... Uh, some of the guests that you can expect to come up as well. I think that's a that's a good initiative because it allows you to kind of know what to expect and, you know, if you've been hanging out for a particular guest or if you've seen a book in the bookshops of late uh, or heard about something that I'm hoping that I'm going to be chatting with them because um, I've got to tell you, it's wild how much traction it's gotten with the with the podcast and uh, everything. So it's been an absolute joy seeing that, seeing the and seeing the, the tangible results there and you guys listening to it. So can't thank you enough for that. And uh, yeah, I hope you all have a lovely evening. I myself uh, hope my evening is going to be lovely. I'm a little bit worried that night works are going to be going down because I think that there's going to be some going on for a while. Got a letter in the mail, but uh, anyway, I digress. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you again to RWR McDonald talking to me about Nancy business, and thank you to listener for always being a faithful listener. I can assure you, I will pay you tenfold by continuing to produce uh, episodes for you. But in the interim. Everyone have a lovely magical evening.